Thank you, Tim Wani. And Lord, we just come before you as well. And we take these emblems. And Lord, it is simple and childlike faith that we come before you. And Lord, we take the body, the bread represented here that was broken for us that we could be made whole. And we take and eat of it now in Jesus' name. Amen. And Lord, we take the cup as well. You drank the cup of suffering on our behalf. And that cup also represents your shed blood on that cross. Where there is healing, where there is wholeness, where there is deliverance, where there is fullness of joy, where there is freedom from sin and shame and death. And we drink it with you, Lord, knowing that the old order of things will pass away one day and you will usher in the glorious new kingdom. So we take of the cup and drink in Jesus' name. Amen. And Lord, I just pray a blessing over the whole congregation as they've taken of the cup and ate the bread. Lord, that they would have an awareness of your presence in their life. Not just from leaving this place, Lord, but a deeper and deeper sense of your power and your presence working in their life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And so I want to invite up Pastor Paul. Thank you, Pastor Paul. Good morning. It's me again. Been a bit like a yo-yo, up and down, up and down, hey? Well, I'd like to um, continue speaking about David's tabernacle and um, moving along this month as we prepare for our move and our transition into a new building. It's not just a new building, it's a new season, it's a whole new uh, opportunity, a whole new day for us as a church. Um, some things are going to change. Uh, that's what, you know, how many of you, I don't know about the kids, but how many of you can remember buying your first home? Raise your hand if you bought, bought your first home, raise that. Did life change dramatically when you bought your first home? Any of you relate to that? Um, well, I remember um, being in Australia, being a, a boarder. Um, I came over to study at Bible College, and I, I brought my backpack and my surfboards. So I didn't need much. I just needed a room, and I found one. And I stayed in a room, and I lived in, in a room for two years while I was studying. Um, I actually lived in a room with a family with eight children. That sounds scarily familiar. Um, and uh, um, and it, was, it was only a three-bedroomed home, so it was a little bit crowded, um, to say the least. Doing my assignments on the floor um, was the way we, we went through that year. But then, got married. Met my beautiful wife. We got married. Um, it was a very long romance, about three months. And, um, and then we got married, and, sorry? Well, you should know. After at least a week, you'd know. And um, otherwise, what are you doing it for? 
If you're, if you're still in a relationship after three months and you don't know, you're wasting your time and you're wasting her time. Just stop it. Um, anyway, well, that's my story. Uh, as some of you take a little longer in making decisions, I'm not like that. It's time for a decision. Let's move. Anyway, so we got married and um, we needed a home. And so we moved into a little flat thing. And um, it was a flat. Is that what it is? It's a, okay, yeah. Anyway, so and it was uh, spacious after living in one bedroom with, uh, you know, a family of 10. Uh, this became, woof, wow, we had, I think we had two bedrooms in that place um, for a little while. Then another family moved in with us right after we got married. And it got crowded again. But anyway, um, life changed. You know, I had to mow the lawn and I had to sweep and clean. And before, I just had a bedroom. But now I had a whole bunch of new things, new responsibilities, new privileges, um, but new responsibilities. And so as we transition out of this season of our, of our church life, we're going to go into a new season. It's going to be new responsibilities and new privileges. And so life is going to change. And so my job over the next month is to prepare you as best as I can for some of the changes. But to keep in front of us, to keep in front of you, the hope and, and the purpose of this change. God isn't going to just change things on us because, well, he's bored and he wants a change. That's not how he operates. God is moving us forward into what he's called us and made us for. And so that, that means changes are going to take place, not just in what we do and where we gather and what the building looks like. No, no, he, there are going to be changes that are going to be happening inside of all of us. So as I preach through this series, I am fully expecting, and it's already begun, that as the changes happen inside of you, people are going to come to me and they are going to be saying things to me that are in alignment with where we are going. To give you an example, uh, I've had a young man come to me and say, I really feel like God is asking me to pray every morning in the new building. To give God three hours every morning and pray and be there to, to pray over the region, to pray over the church. I did not ask for that. I didn't, you know, prime this person and sort of like uh, I'm manipulating you to get this little outcome. And besides, who in their right mind wants to get up at 4 a.m. to do that? Uh, you know, well, and there's a few of you, but the rest of us prefer to sleep. But God is moving on the life of people, and they are responding, getting ready inside for where God's going. Um, we had another lady. I'm, I'm keeping everybody's identity a secret here until we unveil it. But another lady come and say, I feel the Lord's asking me to give a day to the Lord to work here in the office and to be part of the prayer and what God wants to do here. That's a new season. That's, that's phenomenal. And we, you know, we, we've all through the years, all through the journey, we've had different people be interns and different people want to volunteer. Uh, and that's always good. And I'm not saying it's never happened before. But what I am saying is there's a, there's a new willingness and new shoots of life for coming into people as God is bringing change on the inside. And so I want to encourage you to cooperate with God as these changes start to happen. God has given me a burden and a capacity, I believe, to get up and pray uh, for two shifts starting very, very early in the morning um, 
for two days of the week that I feel God wants me to do this for. And uh, I've shared with you how for many years God woke me at 3 a.m. on a Sunday morning to pray from 3 a.m. till 9 a.m. And, um, and I would come here to this building when we first moved in and I'd be in there and then Vaynant would join me at 5 a.m. And guys sort of came in at different times. And I just feel like God's stirring in my heart again um, to, to go in and to pray for a significant amount of time during the week and on the weekends and to lay the foundation for where God wants to take us. And th- this is, like, I don't have to. I can pray during the day. But this is something God is stirring inside of me to get me uh, to go into the new season and to prepare the way. So I'm fully expecting more and more stories throughout the church of what God's stirring in you, that there's a hunger and a desire to want to do something, to want to shift something, to want to break into something new, to want to stretch yourself and go where you haven't gone before. There are going to be people, now I'm prophesying, listen carefully, there are going to be people who are going to sense God say, I want you to sacrifice financially. And you are going to find the capacity you've never had before to be able to sow financially into what God wants you to do. There are going to be people who want to, uh, God's going to speak to you about service in a way that you haven't, you haven't considered it before. And you're going to look for ways to want to serve and to want to <clears throat> usher in the presence of God in, in the way that you can through the works of your hands and through your acts of service. There are other people, like I said, God is going to call you to intercession and prayer. And I am calling out to the intercessors. There is a new wave of intercessors that God is going to raise up and bring into this church. There are going to be people that God is going to handpick and position, and they are going to come in with a mind to be watchmen on the walls. They are going to take their position, they are going to take their hours, and they are going to be on watch. And this church, what God is doing, this church is going to go from being in waiting and believing and hoping for the day, for the move of God and stewarding the move of God to the best of our capabilities. And we are going to a whole new level, a whole new dimension of doing that. And watchmen are going to be on the walls through the hours of the night and the hours of the morning. God is going to put his hand on them and they are going to be supernaturally graced to step up and to pray and be watchmen on the walls through all the hours. Because the works of darkness flourish at night. Satan loves to do his work under the guise of night, under the darkness. And so when the church is sleeping, literally, Satan is working. I used to work breaking up satanic churches when I was a student 27 years ago or more, 30 years ago. And we worked to break up satanic covens. I've not told you guys this sort of stuff. I try not to scare you. But we knew that from the hour of midnight to 5 a.m., the satanic church got together to do their work. Why did they do that? Because the church was asleep. And while the church is asleep, the church cannot pray. And when we pray, we demolish the works of darkness. And we, we minimize the power Satan has. And so the more prayer happens, the less the devil's able to work. The more prayer happens, the more God's activity begins to unfold and work out. And that's why all sorts of ministries and all sorts of of, of supernatural things start to unfold when the church begins to pray because while they're praying, the devil's hands are tired and bound and he can't move. And so I just believe this is what God's about to do. He's about to release a wave of intercessors who are going to come in and fill the ranks of the night. They're going to be praying through the night, day and night, night and day. Incense is going to arise. This is what's coming. 
That's it. I will stop there. I've got more to say, but not now. And so, the, the, the picture God gave me 20-odd years ago was reading in the Bible, was reading about David's tabernacle and being astonished at how God allowed David a window of grace. David, what David did with his tabernacle, what David established when he built this tabernacle on Mount Zion in Jerusalem was a snapshot of what was to come. If ever there was a, 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 a picture in the album of God's history that we could look at and say that's what it's supposed to be like, it was David's tabernacle in the Old Testament. God gave David an opportunity to model something and build something and do something that was supernatural and way ahead of its time. It contravened many of the Mosaic laws to do what David did. Yet God was there. So the spirit of the law was at work without the trappings of the law. And so the, I'm, I'm saying stuff that might go over the head of some of you. Stay with me. We read in Amos 9, 11, 12, it says this, On that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as the days of old, <clears throat> that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does this thing. So what had happened, David had built this, then a generation later Solomon came and built the temple and transformed it from a tent to a building. And then over the succeeding generations, the building became religious and empty and devoid. It was just a bunch of bricks and mortar. The spirit that was at work in David's tabernacle in Solomon's temple stopped working. As the people turned from God and, and stopped having God in the center of their life. And then generations later, God speaks to the prophet Amos and he says, I'm going to do something. I'm going to resurrect David's tabernacle. I'm going to bring this thing back up. And, it's, and I'm going to do it miraculously. It's me who's going to do this. And so I believe God is doing this. This whole season that's unfolding before us, I see God bringing us back our identity of being a house of prayer. How long have we prophesied and prayed and spoken and preached about what it means to carry the identity of what Jesus said we would be? He said, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. This, are we his house? Hebrews says, yes, we are his house. He's the builder. We're the building. We're the temple of God. Therefore, we are a house of prayer for all nations. And so this has been going on for over a decade, God has been saying this. It's going from talk to action because the Bible says that the gospel is not just a matter of talk but of power and of the Holy Spirit. There's always a time where God will speak and prepare and shape and, and provoke and, and catalyze, but then will come the moment where he says, now I'm doing it. Enough talk, action. I believe we've arrived at that point where the foundation of prayer has been laid in our lives, we understand the value, the importance, the significance. We understand how critical it is to carry on a life of prayer. But we are moving from just understanding it to living in the, in the revelation that we are the temple of God, the house of prayer. That's us. That means I pray. I look for opportunities to pray. I only pray. I seek to pray. And I, don't, I hang my entire confidence on the foundation that God has given us in prayer. This is about having an identity of being his house of prayer. I believe God is bringing us back to identity of being his worshipers, a bride infatuated with her groom. I believe that 
we're gonna, we are going to fall in love afresh with God. That's what happens when God moves. The first thing that happens is you come alive. Your love relationship with God comes alive. He speaks to the church in Revelation. He says, you're doing great stuff, but I have this against you. You've fallen away from your first love. You don't love me like you once did. And God's doing this right now. He's wooing us back to falling in love with him and to loving him in a way that, like Solomon wrote, where the bride is infatuated with her groom. It's passionate love songs and romance and special memories and special times are going to mark the relationship that the church has with her groom, Jesus. And so for many men, um, this is going to be foreign territory. You're, you're doers. You're not necessarily lovers. And um, if you're Italian, you're probably halfway there. You have any Italians, any Romeos in the house? No, probably. Oh, well, we've got some challenges then. We've got no one who can show us how to be a Romeo. But we are going to be spiritual Romeos. We're going to fall in love with our God, and we're going to not hold back on our love for Him, our passion for Him, our, our desire of Him. We're going to, he's going to become first and foremost in our world. And, and you know what? <clears throat> Men pretend that they don't feel like you know, that about Jesus, but they don't pretend when they love their four-wheel driving or their fishing or, uh, you know, what else? Their football or their careers. Oh, no, that's cool. You just love that. So I just want to, you know, bring a correction here and say, guys, you do know how to love passionately, but you're going to fall in love with Jesus afresh. We're going back to our identity of being his sons and daughters while we be fathers and mothers to the church. I mean, this is God's solution to our broken down culture and our broken down foundations in this, in this generation. God is saying, if you'll understand you're my son and my daughter, and if you will step into the role of being a father and a mother to someone else, you will fulfill the prophetic unction, the prophetic purpose of the move of God in our generation. Did you get any of that? Okay. God's moving and he's calling us to be Elijah's who raise up Elisha's. There's got to be a church somewhere who takes that seriously. And says, I'm not just going to settle for good kids. I'm not just going to settle for discipling people to church. I want Elishas. I want people who are going to do greater things than I've done. I want people who are going to go further than I've gone. I really want to believe in the next generation to the point that I am willing to get under them and push them into their destiny. That's what's coming. That's the life that we're, we are doing this right now. This is what God is doing. We're cooperating with him for that purpose. And it doesn't mean that we're going to reach a thousand young people and have a big shoom, boom, 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 youth thingy going on on a Friday. That's not what it is. We're going to have young people lying on their faces before God, calling out to God for mercy, saying, our generation is lost, God. What do we do? What do we do? And we, the fathers and the mothers, will get under them and say, come on, you are the answer. Go live it out. Go live it out. We're behind you. Shine. Be bright. Be the best. Be a Daniel. Get into the courts of Nebuchadnezzar. Rise to the top of your field. Be excellent in everything that you do. Carry the Spirit of God with you. You've got this foundation of prayer. You know how to go into a toxic environment and pray the house down. You know how to position yourself for influence and, and for an ability to bring about the kingdom of God manifesting where you are. We're behind you. We're with you on this. We'll pray and we'll cover you. We, we're entering into a Moravian kind of experience as a church. 
You need detail on that? Come back to me. We're going back to our identity of being part of his kingdom first. Pastor Chris lived this for five years, preaching to you. He was trying to get out what was in him, his life message. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He lived it. He practiced it. He put down all these things and sought the kingdom of God first. And, And he was trying to lead us as a family into that experience. And we are on the threshold now of walking into that, of each one of you coming into that same realization that this young pastor carried as he led you for five years. It's coming. That's the foundation. That's what I so often forget. What am I laboring for? What is this all about? I'm laying foundations. I'm laying foundations. I can't see it. I can't see. Is it making a difference? Am I having an impact? Is anybody getting this? And God just says, I'm laying foundations. I'm laying foundations. Chris did that. It was his call for a five-year period or so. Is that correct? I don't even know. Okay, for a five-year period to come in and lay the foundation of Matthew 6.33. He had to live it. He had to be the living, breathing testimony of the Word at work in his life. And he did that. And we were confused, like, what's going on? And Chris is crying instead of preaching. And, you know, and, and, he's, and he's, he's not elocuting this properly. What's the deal? He was living it out and laying down the foundation. we got Matt currently in a similar space as he's living out the call to be a shepherd, to shepherd the flock. And he's stepping into a role of being a father. That's why God gave him eight. So he could be really good at it. By like number eight, you're kind of getting it. <laughs> and so he's, he's gonna, and, and Haley going through this, they are living, walking, breathing testimonies of the of the message of the move of God that we've got to be mothers and fathers and they lay this foundation and you know as parents it takes 16, 20, 30 years maybe for this stuff to get it get down and get in. You know, we kind of hope it's quicker but normally it's not. Are you with me church? God's doing this This is what he's doing. He prophesied it. I stood in this church nine years ago, and I prophesied that this great move of the great south land of the Holy Spirit, this revival that was sweeping through, wasn't just something that was was like a, a flimsy promise that we were hoping for. It was real, and it was us. We were his answer. We were the move of God. And I didn't even know what I was saying. But we've become that as we've laid foundation upon foundation upon foundation in the life of this church and more importantly, in the body of Christ. Because what we do echoes for eternity. What one man did in the Bible, David, for example, he did not understand, I'm sure, that what he was doing was going to echo for generation upon generation and and like 4,000 years later, Here I am, echoing the very thing that he lived and breathed and laid down. We don't get that. But that's what's inside of us. The deposit of the Holy Spirit makes us timeless and amplifies our lives to a point that reaches to the heavens. It doesn't matter that there's this number here. We're bigger than that. 
When we speak, we don't speak with man's words. We speak God's word. And God watches over it. And he watches it as it does its work, careful to ensure that every purpose that he has for his word will come to pass. It doesn't matter that you didn't hear it. It's gone in you and through you and it's carrying on around you. I'm preaching myself saved again. There's something about David's tabernacle that God loved so much that he wanted to rebuild it in a new generation, in a generation who had lost their way. I ask you, have we lost our way as a generation? Yes or no? Easy question. Have we lost our way as a generation, anyone? I'd say yes. In the church, in family, in culture, we have lost our way. Listen to what Isaiah 5.20 says. Isaiah, great prophet, greatest prophet ever. He says this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Confusion reigns. We've lost our way in a generation. That is a summation of what is going on in our culture. The very things that made us great as the Judeo-Christian world have now become darkness and bitter and evil in the minds of many of this generation. Do you get what I'm saying? Family, righteousness, truth, God, morality, sacrifice, honor, those things are considered bitter in the mouths of many of our generation. We've exchanged it. It's, it's so confusing now to know what's right. What can I say? What can't I say? Am I, I feel, man, I feel like a woman. Which one am I? Yeah, it's, it's confusion reigns. And so what was God's answer in David's generation where they'd lost their way? Well, I love this quote from a book called Enthroned by David Fritch. It says this, King David led a subversive singing movement. Cool, man. Defying the tyranny of a 40-year rebellion against God, he called down the godless humanistic systems propagated by his predecessor Saul. He sparked an unprecedented spiritual awakening and governmental reformation when he made day and night prayer and worship the driving force of the nation. Listen, I'm not responsible for the nation, but I am responsible for this church congregation. And I'm going to say this, let everyone hear it today loud and clear. Day and night worship and prayer is going to be the driving force of this congregation. This is what God is doing. I don't know how it's going to happen. He's doing it. I'm not capable of doing that. I need to sleep and all that stuff. But God's doing something. It might take two generations. I don't care. This is a home for the generations, God said. And this is the driving force that's going to bring transformation, true transformation. We've got ample historical evidence to back up that when the church began to pray, I mean really pray, when the church really began to pray, national reformation took place. We have so much evidence, and we are in a position where God is positioning us to go and do this. Most of us are convinced that we, Australia, need a national revival. Most of us, or maybe four of us. But I am convinced of this, 
We are the revival. See, there's even less. Okay. Most of us are convinced that Australia needs a national revival. Okay, I don't know what the other answer is. I hope you've got one. If you don't, have, if you don't agree with that, find another answer. Convince me. But I'm convinced that we are the revival. That, that, I'm absolutely convinced of that. I'm not looking for another source. I'm looking at us. The fruit of revival will be churches awakened and on fire, souls saved, miracles happening. We all want that, don't we? But the revival starts when the people of God get really serious about Him. Then they pray, they worship, they obey, they sacrifice, they give, they go, because revival has hit their hearts and they can do nothing else. I I made it my mission in 2004 to completely ruin you for anything normal. (laughs) Being the evil dictator that I am, I hope I've succeeded. Anyone want a normal life? You're in the wrong house. You're in the wrong address. Normal, schmormal. We're doing kingdom of God. We are going to be wrecked for anything less than all that God wants and all that God has. We are going to, God is going to create a space in our lives that nothing, absolutely nothing, nada, nix, nothing can fill except the glory of his kingdom. That's where we're going. And so there's five of you, hallelujah, we have revival. But I am doing my utmost to allow the Spirit of God to wreck you completely so that you never go back to normal. We're going to get God back at the center of our lives and our church community. We're going to provide a place, a light on a hill that cannot be hidden where people can come and find God. We're going to pray and praise God and saturate the atmosphere of our lives, our families, and our region with the glory of God. We're going to be, without a doubt, the people after God's own heart. These are some of the convictions that I hold dear. And so I'm just going to lead you to the question, if you haven't already got there. If we're going to get God back at the center of our lives in the church community, how, how do we do this? So I just want you to watch this video message for a few minutes as we, uh, can you go through the slides? Next one. Click, Father Tree. Go down. Go down. Go down. Go down. Go down. As I was reading 2 Samuel 7 in this passage tonight, the Lord began to talk to me about us in this generation. That David had found his rest in God. Beloved, we have found our rest in Jesus Christ. The Bible says for all of us who are in Christ that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. That we are forgiven of all of our sins. We're accepted into the Beloved. That we're redeemed, that we're given a new name with a a new inheritance and a new nature and a new destiny with new power over sin 
and were completely transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And that you and I have found our rest in God. Hallelujah. That is powerful. We're never going to exhaust the power that we are now in the presence of God. We stand as the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But I want you to know something tonight is that there is a vast difference between my rest in God and God's rest in me and God's rest in cities and God's rest in regions. There is a vast difference in many believers will just stop at that point and it's glorious and will forever get it. But David wasn't just happy enough to have his rest in God. He says, I'm not gonna rest until you're resting. And the very rest that I have in you has become grace that propels me to contend for God's rest in the midst of the people. That's what David got a hold of and beloved, I'm telling you right now, the Lord is remembering the life, the vow, the obsession of King David. And I believe with all my heart, he is going to visit us. I believe he is going to pour out the same spirit that was upon King David. And he is going to consume a generation saying, thank you for everything that I have in you. But Father, I want more than just me being at rest in you. I want you to have your rest in cities. I want the manifest presence of God in my life and I want the manifest presence of God in our churches the manifest presence of God in our cities beloved I want to tell you right now I am desperate for a revival spirit to touch this nation I want to say to you I don't worship revival I worship Jesus but I want you to know something revival is Jesus and Jesus is revival it is the manifest presence it's the holiness of God gone public. It's the glory of God gone public when God's presence begins to break in. When God begins to shift the landscape and where there is a tangible, discernible, geographical zone of the presence of God that begins to seep into crack houses, that begins to seep in to pedophile rings, into drug rings, that begins to break into bars and begins to break into streets to where there is a tangible manifest zone of the glory of God. And that is a vast difference between me enjoying my quiet time this morning and, ex and enjoying acceptance in Christ. I have a lot more to, t to say and to teach you. I know that it's holidays. And so I want to finish on this one point. David discovered when he built this tabernacle that it was a place of communion. Remember, this is before Jesus. It was a place of communion where God was resting in the city of Jerusalem. It was where he rested his feet. It was where he came down. And there was this incredible communion, common union going on with the people of God and with God himself. 2,000 years after that or thereabouts, Jesus comes and he teaches us about communion. 
through his body and his blood. 2,000 years later, we sit in a room enjoying communion. And like Corey just said, that man on that screen said, I want more than just finding rest inside. Communion, the blood washes me clean. The body heals me. It's all about me, Jesus. I want more than that. I want that communion to happen in the community in a way that is breaking out the God of the breakout. And, and I believe he wants the same. And I believe he's calling us to be part of that. In Genesis 3.8, it says, Adam and Eve, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Haven't you ever wanted to find a place where you can meet with God? A dedicated, sacred, holy space. You know, we've seen the War Room movie. Clean out your closet, create the space. Here we are in a, in a venue that doesn't have a sacred space, a holy place. We have to clean it out every Sunday morning, spiritually. There's a whole lot of, in South Africa, we call them chochas. I dare you Aussies to say that. Chocha. <coughs> what? All right. We have to get rid of all the goggers, all the bad stuff that comes in, infiltrates our lives, the thoughts, the attitudes, the demons that want to get in and wreck our lives. We have to do house cleaning, house cleaning, house cleaning. We're moving to a place where we don't have to do house cleaning. The house will be clean. It'll be filled with the feet of God resting in that place. And we can go and walk with him in the cool of the day, the morning, the noon, the night. Hey, this is a great privilege. Don't you desire a lifestyle where the hustle and bustle stops? You get to walk in the cool of the day, listening, resting, and comfortable companionship. You know, our, our lives are frenetic. And if they're not busy, we will busy it up because it needs to be busy. I need to get that gadget in my hand. I've got nothing in my hand. I've got time and space and I must fill it. Or is that just some of the people I know? No, we need a place where we can put that aside Step into timelessness. I don't know if you've ever experienced God in his timelessness, his eternal being, where when you get into his presence, time goes. And you go, what? I've been here for how long? And it felt like that. Oh. That is the, com the companionship that he's inviting us into.
in this next season. Yeah, 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 come on, interrupt. Um, last week, just praying about going into Simcelia's, I felt he gave me a vision of being here and it was echoey and it, we f- it felt really big. And then we, I w- then I was at Simcelia's and we opened the door and a thick presence of the Lord was huge and he keeps saying it's a home away from home. So I think that's why he's saying what Pastor Paul's saying is that it just felt really echoey here, but it just really stick in his presence at Simcelia's and it was just home and he keeps saying home away from home amen thank you Haley. we'll take it um we have another video clip the first two minutes okay all right so i just want to sort of tee this up the stuff i'm talking about actually happens and is happening in our day there's a place in wales with a name I can't say, Folda Brennan, okay, or um, something Welsh. And, um, and this, this man, this dude who's like the caretaker guy of the place, um, tells the story of what's happening. It is amazing and unique. There's a book called A Grace Outpouring that I would suggest you get a hold of and read because it's absolutely mind-blowing what happens when God comes down and rests in a place. Like, you've got to hear some of the stories of what God's doing today on our planet in a little place where nobody would think of. I am absolutely convinced that of all the places on earth where God could have brought people, he chose all of us to come to the backside of the desert up here, to a a former unexploded ordinance site. And I find it, you know, UXO, unexploded ordnance. That means there's bombs under the ground, and if you dig too deep, you might blow up. But here's the thing about it. The Holy Spirit is called dunamis. And we are sitting on a keg of Holy Spirit dynamite. And I want to dig until it blows up. And what happens when God comes down is the most amazing stuff. So can we roll the video, and I'll I'll tell you when to stop um, the second video. You got it? Of the Welsh place? Thanks. One evening in evening prayers, the glory of God visibly appeared and filled the dome. Um, it's, It's almost impossible to describe. It was like something that lives, and it filled the whole dome but it didn't touch the ceiling. It filled the space, but there was just that little gap. And it pulsated with glory. And the light in here was absolutely amazing. And for perhaps 40 minutes, nobody could move. Nobody could say a word. And there was a sense of a huge weight of glory resting upon us. So utterly unexpected. Absolutely wonderful. We'll stop there. 
Okay. Come along next week and listen to the rest of this message and watch the rest of the videos. Um, I've got a lot more to tell you about a place of communion that God wants to establish. I want to infect you with a desire for a church like no other. A church that's out of this world. <laughs> yeah. I want, I want you to never, ever want to do church like a Sunday drive through I just want you to, to hunger for God's presence. And you know the power of His presence does more than any meeting could ever do. So, would you join with us as we transition into this next season? Would you be part of, of listening to the, the voice of the Spirit of God inside of you saying, you know what, I want to work with you in the next season, and I want you to do this for me, to bring my presence into that place. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm calling on you to be like grown-up Christian people. To, to kind of move at another level of understanding your significance in this generation. I, I don't want you to be passengers who just go, oh, what happened? Oh, how did I get here? What? I don't want that. I want you to be conscious and on fire inside that says, God, you're doing something. I want to be part of it. What do you want me to do to usher this in and to make this possible? Listen, the devil doesn't want it to happen. He's going to try and discourage you and stop you and lie to you to say you're not worthy and you're not capable and you're not able. He doesn't want this to be part of your life story. But God does. And God's doing this. And he's stronger. And if you will think about it's not just for me, but it's for the future generations. If you get that in you, I'm telling you, you'll become strong. You'll go, flip, yeah. This matters for the next generation. I'm going to do this for my kids. You'll become a father and a mother in the spirit of Elijah. And God will raise up Elisha's, guaranteed, because he said he would. Woo! I tell you, I just feel so weird today. I do not feel like your normal pastor. I, I like, I've just, I'm, I, I want to say sorry, but I'm not. Like, just... God's doing something, guys, like really is, and um, we're, on a, we're on a threshold of stuff we've never known, and I, I'm so glad the kids are here because I want them to get infected. I don't know what you heard, little ones, but I know you heard something, so God's taking it, taking it into your lives, put, depositing it into your lives. So, may the love of the Father... The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with you always. May he keep you in the palm of his hand. May he breathe on you and cause the revelation that you need of who he's calling you to be to spring to life. And may you go out and do the things that matter not only for your life but for generations to come. That's how significant you are. In Jesus' name, have a great week.